In April of 2003, an aspiring young actress decided to break off her engagement. But it didn't end well. This is the case of Lyric Benson. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 22 of Crime Cave. I'm Christy, and it's surprising to me how little information I could find about this case. There's one fairly short but insightful documentary on YouTube that came out in 2006, but that's about it. What's amazing is that that documentary doesn't mention the assailant's name even once. And honestly, I wish more documentaries about crime would adopt that practice. Now, I need to make clear that the Lyric Benson I'm talking about in this episode is not actor Robbie Benson's daughter, Lyric Benson. They both just happen to have the same unusual name. But I wanted to be sure to make that clear. I have to say, I can relate to some aspects of Lyric Benson's life. Her Midwest upbringing, her close relationship with her dad, her love of acting, and all the auditioning and the voiceover work and the excitement of finally landing a booking. Her story just really got to me ever since I heard about it 20 years ago. I also want to mention that there seems to be a go-to photo of Lyric that's typically used when you search her image online. It's a professional headshot that has her looking very serious. But after learning more about her life and her personality, that image just doesn't capture her vibrant comedic side. I hope this episode will do her justice. This is the case of Lyric Benson. Lyric Marie Benson was born September 20, 1980, in Overland Park, Kansas, to Deborah and Terry Benson. She had an older brother named Ethan. Both of her parents were teachers and read to her every night when she was an infant. Lyric was described as a beautiful, loving, and intelligent child with large blue eyes and a heart-shaped face. Although her parents divorced when Lyric was four, they made sure to maintain family traditions and a supportive, loving environment. She saw her dad every weekend, as well as occasionally during the week, and she seemed to adapt well. Her dad, Terry, would host a yearly get-together at his home in Overland Park, he referred to as deck parties, lively gatherings for family, friends, and neighbors, where they would put on skits, musical acts, and lip-sync songs and perform dance routines. Lyric usually had a starring role in these family productions as early as the age of six, and it was crystal clear from the start that she loved to be on stage. She also learned the violin and piano, read voraciously, and excelled in school. In 1992, when Lyric was 12, she left the Kansas City area to live in Morocco, where her mother had taught at Casablanca American School. She spent five years there and completely threw herself into the culture. Although she didn't speak French upon arrival, which is spoken by many Moroccans in addition to Arabic, she quickly and eagerly learned the language. She displayed a remarkable inquisitiveness about other people and integrated herself into the school community. She also continued her love of theater while she was there and acted in several productions. Lyric was a brilliant student and initially thought she might want to study industrial design. 
She even worked as an intern for an architect in Casablanca. But by her senior year of high school, she began thinking more seriously about a career in drama. In the spring of 1998, she graduated valedictorian of her class and headed back to the U.S. to attend Yale University. Although Lyric didn't officially change her major to drama until her junior year, she immersed herself in theater, playing a wide range of roles in shows like A Chorus Line and The Caucasian Chalk Circle. A fellow actor said she got bored at rehearsals that Lyric had to miss. She seemed to captivate people with her humor and her energy, and she immediately began to make her mark at the competitive Ivy League school. Her ability to connect with other people gave her a presence both on and off stage. She loved to laugh, and she loved to make people laugh. Upon first meeting Lyric, a classmate said, I felt like a real schlump next to her. She was so beautiful. She was just this person who you looked at when you came into a room, and she just filled it up and made it glow. For her senior acting project, Lyric didn't want to do something that was obvious and within the ordinary range of how she was likely to be cast. She wanted to test her abilities and see what she could do with a part few New York casting agents would have envisioned her for. So she chose the one-woman play, Miss Margarita's Way, where she played a grotesque, enraged, middle-aged, ruthless, dictatorial character. David Krasner, the director of theater studies at Yale, would say, we expected great things from her. During her time at Yale, Lyric began dating a local guy in his early 30s named Robert Ambrosino. The two first crossed paths in an unconventional way when she called a radio station to make an apologetic request for a cheesy song, and he happened to answer the phone. They soon began dating. He became the charming older man in a white suit and ponytail, romantic and gallant. He was a former United States merchant marine and aspiring fireman. Although he had passed the test back in 1999 to become a New York City firefighter, he was still working his way up the list of candidates a couple years later. They got an apartment together in New Haven, Connecticut, and were described as a good-looking couple. But a few in their circle noted Robert was a little odd, with one of them saying, the one thing that everybody would say when they met them, anytime, anyone, anywhere, was what was she doing with him? She was just in a different league. Robert had recently earned college credits and an EMS certification, but was several months from being hired. Nevertheless, the two became engaged, and Lyric would graduate with honors from Yale in May of 2002. By the time Lyric left New Haven, she already had her New York City agents lined up. Robert had moved their things into an apartment on Monitor Street in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Here she was, a recent Yale graduate with a plan for success, charm, and a checklist. As many actors do, to help pay the bills, she got a restaurant job as a hostess at an upscale bistro in Soho called Balthazar, where she was known to charm even the crankiest VIP. She would also get hired at bar mitzvah parties on Saturday nights to help break the ice and get the wallflowers to dance. Meanwhile, during the day, she would go on auditions. In the ridiculously competitive entertainment industry, she started making headway within her first few months of arriving in New York. She snagged a coveted audition for Sex in the City and landed small roles on Comedy Central with Dave Chappelle, as well as the soap opera All My Children. 
Her commercial agent, Michael Raymond, said that when Lyric's theatrical agents introduced his office to the recent Yale graduate, she stood out from most other young actresses with her boundless vibrancy, enthusiasm, and sheer talent. This is from a commercial audition she went on on April 3rd, 10 months. While she initially pursued agents for commercial, TV, and film, she unexpectedly found herself in demand for voice work as well. I remember her telling me, she said, my agent told me today that I can, that I will be able to work for the rest of my life doing voiceovers. There was no question. She booked a few on-camera things, but the voiceover thing was really taking off, which is what I thought when I first met her and heard her voice. I thought, my God, if she can do copy, she's going to be great because the voice is there. It's just a matter of whether she can learn the knack of reading commercial copy, which is an acquired skill, but she picked it up very quickly. In early 2003, her career was really starting to take off. Her sultry voice had earned her bookings in two major voiceover campaigns. She was getting more and more acting jobs and advertising work, with the most high profile being a major print ad for American Express, which featured TV, print, and billboard ads around the city, promoting the upcoming Tribeca Film Festival. The ad depicted working actors in New York waiting tables, with Lyric as the focus of the ad wearing a white apron, standing tall, and her hair in two ponytails. Her career seemed to be on its way. But Robert's life appeared stagnant. He'd been unemployed for about a year at that point, still on the waiting list to become a fireman. Some painted him as a strange, drifting figure who was once the king of New Haven, but was now a little fish in the New York City pond. In early March of 2003, Lyric made the decision to end their three-year relationship after a religious reawakening prompted her to reassess their living together. Subsequently, she moved out of their Brooklyn apartment into her own place on the 200 block of East Broadway in Chinatown. With her broadening perspective, she began to feel that her relationship with Robert, a decade older than her, was a cocoon she was ready to leave. She was changing, but Robert didn't want to let her go. He would call her repeatedly and show up at Balthazar at closing time. Her friend said he started referring to himself as Fast Robert and that he just wouldn't leave her alone. After a while, she stopped picking up the phone and would just erase the messages. Lyric had started to grow more nervous about the escalating harassment and had even sought to speak to a former girlfriend of his. In mid-April of 2003, Lyric's mom, Deborah, flew in to visit from North Carolina. They had at least a week of mother-daughter time while she stayed at Lyric's apartment in Chinatown, and the two had a lot to celebrate. She had recently booked several commercials and had just filmed her first network TV show, a co-star role on Law & Order Criminal Intent, Season 2, Episode 21, alongside series regulars Vincent D'Onofrio and Catherine Erb. 
On Saturday, April 19th, Lyric and her mom paused on the street to look at herself in one of the giant American Express advertisements in Manhattan. And they giggled. In less than a year of moving to New York City, Lyric was starting to make it. Four days later, on Wednesday, April 23rd, Lyric and her mom shared a dessert at Balthazar, and she got to meet some of her daughter's co-workers. While Lyric continued her shift, her mom headed back to the apartment with her daughter's sole set of keys to wait for Lyric to get off work. At 1 a.m., Lyric took a cab back to her apartment. As usual, she engaged the cab driver in laughter and conversation during much of the 12-minute trip. On the way, she gave her mom a quick call to ask her to let her into the building. Her mom came downstairs from the third floor at about 1.15 in a bathrobe and opened the door of the vestibule as Lyric approached the building. In an instant, a man appeared and shot Lyric in the face. Seconds later, the assailant shot himself in the head. Neighbors would later say it was very quiet before it happened. There was no argument, just gunshots, and Lyric's mother screaming, Someone shot my baby in the eye. That someone was Robert Ambrosino. Lyric was taken to Bellevue Hospital and was kept on life support for a day. At 11.30 a.m. on Friday, April 25th, Lyric Benson passed away at the age of 22. As her memorial service was being held in Brooklyn, the American Express billboards that prominently featured Lyric remained plastered throughout the city. Her mother stated that her daughter would not have wanted the ads taken down. Her episode of Law & Order aired on May 11, 2003, 16 days after her death. One thing that helped keep the Benson family going was that Lyric's organs were donated, and subsequently, she helped save the lives of five individuals. Her tissue was preserved, her pancreas was donated for islet cell research, as well as her lungs, kidneys, liver, and most importantly for the family, her heart which is very likely still beating somewhere out there. In 2006, her father Terry set up a nonprofit fund promoting organ donor awareness called Lyric of Life, headquartered in the Kansas City area where she grew up. The organization also offers a theater-related scholarship each year to at least one area high school student who closely profiles Lyric's desire to succeed. Beyond a love for theater, Students are selected based on qualities that reflect those Lyric would have demonstrated. Academics, extracurricular activities, community service, character, maturity, and talent. And now for today's listener question. Okay, today's question is from Kelly... And she wants to know, are there any true crime updates in the news recently that I find interesting? Yes, uh, I just read today, actually, that there's a new documentary coming out this Saturday on Oxygen's True Crime Network featuring a jailhouse interview with Yolanda Saldivar, the woman who murdered Tejano music star Selena back in 1995. And... 
you know, I don't know about you, but I mean, aside from the fact that she's a murderer, there's something that just has always irked me about that woman every time I see her interviewed. So I'd really be curious to see what kind of a yarn she spins this time. She's changed her story at least three times over the years. So if nothing else, I'm sure it'll be entertaining. And also the Scott Peterson case, uh, it's being taken up by the L.A. Innocence Project. Now, that is different from the National Innocence Project. I think there was some confusion about that. This group has only been around since like 2017. So at any rate, though, it's interesting that they're taking it on. I want to see what kind of evidence they have to refute his guilty verdict. So time will tell. We shall see. And we'll probably be covering something of that sort in the crime cave coming up. Thanks for your question, Kelly. Hey, everybody. It's Ray the Roadie. And this is Hollywood Mike with the Rock and Roll Chicago podcast coming to you from the Illinois Rock and Roll Museum on Route 66 in Joliet, Illinois, where once a week we are interviewing local musicians and singer-songwriters. And the podcast itself covers a wide range of topics, including but not limited to the history of rock and roll in Chicago, the current state of the scene, and the challenges and opportunities facing musicians today. So join us every Tuesday for a new exciting episode of the Rock and Roll Chicago podcast. Thanks for joining me. This episode of Crime Cave has been brought to you by Fortress Defense Consultants, providing security consulting for educational institutions, corporate facilities, and houses of worship, as well as pepper spray, Situational awareness and defensive firearms training for police and private citizens. Find Fortress on the web at FortressDefense.com. Contact Fortress directly at 708-522-8060 or email them at info at FortressDefense.com. Avoid being the subject of a future episode of Crime Cave. Train with Fortress today. Until next time.